1: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to Vet Voice, the pet pod. This is the podcast that's all about pets. I'm Zara Boland. I'm a veterinarian, a consultant, and all-around animal lover. And each episode of the pet pod, I'll be joined by some of my veterinary friends and colleagues from across the pet healthcare industry to offer you handy tips and expert advice to help keep your beloved family pet healthy and above all happy. So, today we're chatting about the UK's third most popular pet. And yes, you've guessed it, that's rabbits. And I'm really delighted that the president of the British Veterinary Association, Dr. Daniela Dos Santos, has returned to the pet pod to share her knowledge about our much loved fluffy friends. So, Daniela, thank you so much for joining us today again on The Pet Pod. Oh, total pleasure. Let's start with uh, with the fluffy stuff, if you'll pardon the pun. (laughs) Let's talk about why rabbits make good pets.
0: So, I would say they're probably the most misunderstood pet. They are cute, they are fluffy, but they do have very specialist needs. And, you know, we're often in a situation where families go out and get a rabbit without thinking about it because they think that they'll make great pets for small kids. And actually... They don't. Um, they're not the best pet for, for small children. So um it is really important, particularly with rabbits, to do your research first because they do have a lot of specialist needs.
1: They do. Shall we start with some questions that, that I often get asked a lot about as well? And I think it'll it'll tie in quite nicely with what you talked about just now. But quite often people get a rabbits and get the get a single rabbit. So the basic question is one rabbit or two or more. What's the recommendation?
0: So rabbits are really, really social creatures. So, you know, if we think about how they live in the wild, they live in in very large groups, in complex rabbit warrens and so on, and they need company of their own kind. So actually, if you're getting a rabbit, you should at least be getting a second one because they are really dependent on company and it is really important for their happiness.
1: Yes absolutely and we seem to forget that the rabbits in the field and our abundant wildlife population are exactly the same species as our companion pets. So if we're thinking about getting two or more rabbits then what are the best gender combinations and I guess there's some consequences
0: with that as well which will bring us on to the topic of neutering. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely so um companionship is important but the consequences of companionship have to be thought about as well so in an ideal world actually it's neutered male and female pairs that make the best companions and so you know if you are getting young rabbits you need to make sure you get them neutered at the appropriate time and as soon as possible in order to prevent more rabbits they tend to be the easiest and and happiest and most stable pairs you can get you know same-sex pairs again if they're neutered they're easier to be kept together but if you have the option neutered male and female is absolutely the best and easiest way to go. Okay, and how early should we think about neutering them? So you can go down as early as as four months old, and it very much depends um, on the size of the rabbit. Um, and the vet involved and, and your circumstances but certainly from about four, five, six months old you, you should be speaking to your vets um, about getting your rabbits neutered and certainly that is just as important whether you've got a, a mixed sex or a same-sex um, grouping or pairing um, because you get to a point where hormones kicked in and they, they can also fight.
1: Yes, there's mating behaviour and fighting behaviour that crops up. Absolutely. Let's start with the former of those and let's say we haven't actually got to the vet in time and suddenly we may have two rabbits, male and female that have managed to mate and potentially got a pregnant female. What are the signs to look out for um, in that situation? How will you know if your if your little rabbit is
0: is pregnant? So, if you have any suspicion that an accident has happened, um, I would urge you to contact your vet as soon as possible. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of rabbits in rescues at the moment. So, if you do think an accident has happened, and do speak to your vet. If you don't, and suddenly you start seeing things like nesting behaviour, that is the classic sign that you will see. You don't always notice the rabbit getting particularly bigger, especially if if they're growing, because it becomes very difficult to distinguish one from the other. But you certainly can do. But nesting behaviour tends to be one of the first things that people notice. And what happens there is the female will start pulling out her own fur, usually from the front of her chest, and start trying to make a nest out of it. Okay, And how long is the gestation period in rabbits? It's around the sort of 30, 33 day mark um, uh, that that you would expect. So really quick, really quick. Um, But again, as I say, I would urge anyone listening, if you have a male and female and there's been an accident, do contact your vet as soon as possible.
1: Last question before we move on on the the pregnant rabbit piece but if you if you are in the unfortunate situation where you, you have got a pregnant female and you end up with a litter of kits then any top tips for people who might need to take
0: care of those little babies before they find them homes So first things first is Mother will usually do her job. And Mm -hmm. and you have to remember that they're born, you know, looking quite precarious, hairless, you know, um, uh, very vulnerable. But mothers, uh, female rabbits often only feed their young twice a day. They don't necessarily tend to spend a lot of time with them in between. So um, don't be tempted to go in and intervene unless you see a problem. the mother rabbit will usually have it all in hand.
1: So aside from um from obviously the implications of of pregnancy and and young kits what are the other reasons why we might want to consider neutering
0: our rabbits Sure so uh, it, along with sort of the pregnancy and so on comes the hormones so in neutering them um, you stop that drive to fight, to defend. So so there's a behavioural benefit there. And certainly with male rabbits, you may well stop them spraying um, and end up with sorts of, all sorts of problems there. But actually, the biggest benefit is in female rabbits. So unneutered female rabbits are really high risk of, of developing cancer of the womb. And often, we don't know it's there until it's quite advanced and it's spread. So actually... Getting a a, a rabbit neutered at an early age, particularly a female one, does have significant health benefits as well. Great. So let's move on to diet. What is the ideal rabbit diet? So um, rabbits do have uh, very specific dietary needs and they're really important to meet them because the consequences of not meeting them are huge. So they have teeth, which in the most simplest terms, grow continuously throughout their lives. And so they have these special teeth that are there for grinding grass and hay and things like that. And it's really important they remain in alignment so that they can grind down in alignment and they avoid any dental problems. So about 80% of your rabbit's diet should be hay or grass, about sort of 15% ish should be, you know, um, greens and fresh vegetables and things like that. And actually, a very small percentage should be pellets. Um, and the, the easiest way to um, sort of say it's for a standard, you know, medium-sized rabbit, they should only be getting about an egg cupful a day. They really don't need very much of it.
1: And of course, the reason why we don't recommend an over-reliance on commercial pelleted rabbit food is due to the risk of overfeeding, which, as you know, Daniela, can in turn lead to an increase in both obesity and dental disease. But before we move on to those really important health conditions and the associated welfare issues, I I think it's also really important that we discuss the different types of commercial rabbit food, and particularly the
0: muesli diets that are widely available. So there are two distinct different type of pellets on the market there are those that tend to be sort of a brown colour and all one shape and size and so on and they're the ones that you should be feeding because the other ones are sort of muesli type
1: yes that's right
0: and they selectively feed they will go in and they will pick out the bits they like and I sort of liken it to if you offer a toddler a chocolate bar or a bit of broccoli they're always going to go for the chocolate bar. If you don't give them that option, they'll eat the broccoli because they're hungry. So it's really important to be strict with their diet.
1: Yeah, I think that's a key point. You've put it really nicely, but I think a way to, to maybe sum it up as well is is consider the pellets as complete and balanced food that they don't get the choice over. Whereas the muesli, as you said, they can pick out specific nutrients from it and then overindulge one nutrient and, and underachieve the other. So yeah, it leads to all sorts of problems, not least of which, as you mentioned, is is disease and obesity. So which one will we tackle first, Daniela? <laughs>
0: (laughs) Let's go with dental disease, seeing as we're talking about food going in.
1: Yep, let's do it. So teeth are so important. You mentioned that they continuously grow and they lead to all sorts of complications. And they're they're tricky to see, especially those molars at the back, which we both know are the ones that tend to cause the most problems.
0: Yep, absolutely. So um, they lead to all sorts of problems. And I think, so there's two types of dental disease. There's the dental disease that some rabbits are born with, So, um, you know, we can liken flat-faced rabbits to flat-faced dogs in that they are inherently born with some problems. So flat-faced rabbits, so your netherland dwarfs and things like that, they're born with skulls that are a slightly abnormal shape. And what that means is that their teeth don't align. And so they're heading towards a lifetime of dental problems. So it's really important that if you do have these rabbits, that you do take them into the vet regularly to check their teeth. And certainly if they're very young, um, and a problem is spotted. So for example, their front teeth, their incisors don't align properly. They can actually be removed, which sounds really dramatic, but in a young rabbit with a flat face, if they are born with incisors that don't quite line up, no amount of corrective diet is going to fix that. And actually, if you remove them, you give the back teeth the chance. So if you have a flat faced rabbit, be aware that that's a potential problem. Diet there is exceptionally important um, and do make sure you go to your vet for regular dental checkups. Now normal rabbits with, with normal rabbity faces. <laughs> As we've said, they have teeth that go continuously. And so um, it's really important that we get this right. It's interesting that, you know, when you think about the cartoon rabbit, we always think about the front teeth, don't we? Mm-hmm, Like funny. <laughs> exactly, it's, it's the cartoon aspect, but actually the most important teeth are the ones at the back. So the ones at the front are used to sort of rip up grass or hay, you know, to, to sort of tear it in pieces so that they can use their little tongue push it to the back of their mouth and use their back teeth to grind it down and swallow the food. And so often when you have dental problems, they're those back teeth and either they have sharp pointy bits inside their mouth that are either pointing onto their tongue or their cheek, causing pain and discomfort. And little spurs. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you have root problems, which can cause abscesses. And so to keep teeth in check, we need a good diet. But the diet also impacts further down their gastrointestinal system. So rabbits have quite complex um, gastrointestinal tracts. And so they need high fibre in their diet. Hence all the hay. Absolutely. All the hay, all the grass and the veggies. And it's really important that we get that right um, so that they're producing nice, healthy um, pellets. You know, they don't end up with diarrhoea. And so it's really important across the piece to get this diet right. And talking about diet
1: and what comes out the other side, we know that particularly when we're discussing rabbit nutrition, there are really some vital nutrients from the food that rabbits can't necessarily access, how should we say, the first time around. And this brings us nicely, Daniela, to the topic of
0: cicatrophs. So can you take us through what these are and why they're so important for our rabbits? Oh, absolutely. And diet you know, again, forms a huge component there. So um, for those of you that don't have rabbits, or perhaps even those of you that do have rabbits, rabbits have two different types of poo. Um, So you have the round pellets that everybody sees. um, And often when there's a problem, the first thing people will notice is that those pellets become paler or smaller or misshapen. But they also produce something called cicatrophs, which are soft poos that basically look like a bunch of grapes. Now, Often owners never see these, and that's because they tend to be produced twice a day, and rabbits tend to eat it straight out of their bottom. Now, um, (laughs) I know it sounds horrible, (laughs) but it has a purpose, right? (laughs) Oh, it does, it does. So, what they're doing is they're recycling nutrients. So, not to get into too much detail, actually, the digestion of fiber is quite complex, and sometimes it basically needs to go around twice so that they can get the full um, sort of nutritional value. And I guess it seems strange, but actually, the content of those cicatrophs and the taste and their smell is really highly impacted by what they eat. And so it's really important to get that right, because if you're not getting it quite right in terms of fibre and so on, it can make them unpalatable. And therefore, the rabbits don't eat them. And therefore, you end up with a nutritional deficit again. And then that can lead to gut stasis, right? And that's never a good thing in a rabbit. Oh, absolutely. So gut stasis is is a killer in rabbits. So um, for those that are listening, that are not too sure what this means, rabbits have guts that need to keep going all the time. You know, they have bacteria in there, different types of bacteria at different places that are processing and digesting all this fiber that you're feeding them. But with that comes the buildup of gas as well. And so if we end up in a situation where we have gut stasis, which essentially means the guts stop moving, you can end up in a very serious situation. And so, you know, one of the emergency situations in rabbits that you should be aware of and should contact your vet as soon as possible is if you end up in a situation where your rabbit's not eating or not passing faeces and it is always better to get in there too soon than too late with that one.
1: Absolutely and so just um, for for everyone to understand how often should rabbits be passing their faeces even if we're not seeing the cicatrophs the normal pellets that they pass?
0: So different rabbits will have sort of different patterns won't they but you do tend to see them throughout the day, really. And and so if you suddenly realize, I don't know, normally you wake up and there's lots of them all over the place, either in a litter tray because they're well-trained or just everywhere. But you wake up and there's less of them then there's a problem there. You know, it is unusual for a rabbit to go, six, eight hours without passing something and even more worrying for a rabbit to go that length of time without eating. And often they come hand in hand. It's often the lack of eating and the lack of feces that that an owner will notice. That's an absolute instant emergency call to the vet. But moving
1: on from poo, (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about housing rabbits. So a lot of people will have hutches and We both know that it's vitally important that our rabbits have enough space that they're able to exhibit their natural behaviours. And that includes being able to stand upright on their hind legs, as well as having a run that allows them at least three bunny hops. But what would you say is the ideal rabbit home?
0: Put quite simply, a hutch is not enough. If we go back to uh, rabbits in the wild, they live in big groups, in big complex environments with lots of warrens and, and so on. And actually, if you put a rabbit in a hutch that, you know, it can't stand up in, it can't hop across, you know, it, can, it can't do three hops. That is not meeting their, their requirements to exhibit natural behaviour. And so rabbits take up space and the more space you can give them, the better. So, it, you know, if we're talking about a bare minimum, a hutch should be big enough that a rabbit can stand up on their back legs and their ears don't touch the um, top of the hutch. They should have a space for eating, a space for sleeping. They should also have a run attached to it. And that run needs to be big enough for a rabbit to at least be able to hop fully three times across it. But all these things that are, are I'm talking about are minimums, you know, these are absolute minimums. And you know, if you're doing what we've suggested at the beginning in that you have companionship, then you also need a bigger space then. And actually, perhaps the best thing you can do for, for your um, rabbit, particularly if they're outdoors, is consider something like a shed, you know, with multiple levels, with a, a large enclosed run attached to it. Because they need space, but they also need enrichment. They are highly, highly intelligent creatures. And so, you know, if you put them in a hutch with a small run, actually, where can you put the toys? Where do they have the facility for digging? Where can you put these tunnels to make their life more exciting? And so, Space and enrichment come hand in hand, absolutely.
1: That's a really good point, and I think the other part of of that piece is is having somewhere to hide, right? Because they're prey animals, so they're constantly looking around for the the hawk <laughs> that might be over their shoulder.
0: Absolutely, and and you've touched on uh, part of the reason why I said they're not great for children. And you know, they are still prey animals, and even as pets. They will have these instincts that they need to be able to get away, to hide, to to stay in the dark. And we have to respect that as their owners. And if you think about it with a toddler, they have no concept of this. And, and, And all they see is a really fluffy, cute animal that they want to chase and pick up. And actually that's the worst thing you could do for a rabbit. You know, it, it really sets off their stress levels. Also, they're not the easiest animals to handle. You know, they're flighty, they can easily injure their backs. And so, yes, they're prey species, they need places to hide. Other thing to take into account, actually, whilst we're speaking about it, is if they're kept outside, think about the the trajectory of the sun. You know, you need to make sure that you're not housing them in a place that, you know, gets direct sunlight throughout the day so that it gets really hot in there. So, you know, we also need to make sure that there are cool and shady areas for them too.
1: A good friend of mine when I was going through vet school actually had a pet rabbit, Um, Leander. She was mad about the rabbit. It was a wonderful, wonderful rabbit, actually. But she had that rabbit running free in her apartment. So is that another
0: option? Yep. So there are um, indoor rabbits, um, and, and that's fine. I guess I would always say that a rabbit probably would like some outdoor space, you know, running around, being keen, doing what they do naturally. But keeping indoor rabbits is fine, but it still comes down to space. It's still not appropriate to have them in a cage, in a hutch, in a tiny room. I guess the added complication here is you need to think about things like your electric wires. You don't want any accidents there. Uh, They're also prolific chewers. So if you've got skirting boards, I think you might have to accept that there will be some damage to those skirting boards as well.
1: (laughs) It's very true for their safety and and your sanity. You need to cover all your cables and wires. Okay. Let's talk a little bit then about some of the common health issues that rabbits get. So we haven't mentioned obesity, but obesity is another issue when rabbits are on the wrong diet and it can lead to another catalogue of health conditions, not least of which is fly strike, um, which is an extremely unpleasant condition for the rabbits. So can you talk us through some of these, please, Daniela?
0: So fat rabbits mean they can't behave naturally. And so, you know, they can't, for example, eat their secretroves, which means you end up in a situation where faeces end up stuck to their um, bottom and that attracts flies and so you know you end up in a situation where you could get fly strike and to put simply fly strike is when flies come along lay their eggs and larvae and maggots end up hatching on rabbits Um, and it is horrendous it's horrific it is painful and it can be fatal without prompt veterinary treatment and so you know we need to be checking the underneath of our rabbits on a daily basis but also minimizing the risk by making sure that you know, we're not allowing our rabbits to get obese and that we're feeding them a correct diet. So fly strike is a, a, a real concern there. It's a real welfare issue. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so and so that's something that people really, really need to be careful of. But obesity comes with other issues, you know, it impacts as it does on people on mobility. And so you could end up with things like sore hocks, rabbits may find it harder to groom. So you may end up with, you know, skin issues as well. So I guess the, the best message here is make sure you feed appropriately and try and avoid any form of obesity.
1: So moving on then to some other important health conditions, I'm really conscious that E. caniculi is what's seen as an emerging health issue for our rabbits. And in fact, I got asked just the other day about a potential case, which presented as an eye complaint in this particular rabbit. But I'm aware that there's a diverse array of potential symptoms. And in fact, it can be really extremely difficult to diagnose. So perhaps, Daniela, you can talk us through the latest knowledge of this particular disease.
0: So it's actually a really complex disease. So the easiest way to explain it is that it's a type of parasite. But interestingly, it is a parasite that about 50% of the rabbit population carry. But 50% of the rabbit population do not show clinical signs. And so what we don't fully understand is why is it that some rabbits get sick with it and others don't. So that's sort of the starting point. But we also have issues potentially in diagnosing it, in treating or curing it and also managing rabbits with E. Caniculi. So broadly speaking, as I say, it's a parasite, um, but what it does is it tends to attack either the nervous system or the kidney. So that tends to be the sort of two places that it causes problems. And so the clinical signs that you can see, you can see increased drinking and increased urination, you know, particularly if it goes for the kidneys. If you're looking if it's attacking the neurological system or the nervous system it actually depends where so it can do anything from a head tilt so you know rabbits walking around with their heads very tilted to one side and um, it may cause rapid eye movements so that could be up and down or side to side as well they could have rolling they could have seizures weakness sometimes paralysis so it's a whole heap of signs and That's what makes it um, difficult to exclude it from almost any form of clinical signs that you see. And, you know, there are some other sorts of, you can get them in the eye as well. Now, in the eye, um, it tends to happen if they have contracted it in utero, so when they're in the womb or very young. And in that sort of situation, sometimes rabbits lose eyes because of it um, in case it becomes painful. And so if you see any of these signs, you know, I would say go to your vet. But actually, I'd also be aware that it can be difficult to be certain that's what we're dealing with and even harder to try and get rid of it. So, you know, there are some blood tests available, but the issue with the blood test is sometimes it just shows that the rabbit's been exposed to it. And so if we go back to my point that 50 percent of rabbits carry it, I could test 100 rabbits and get 50 positives. But that doesn't mean that what you're seeing there and then is due to the disease. So it doesn't indicate necessarily that there's an active infection what about prognosis it depends would be my honest answer to this when you first see these neurological signs they can look quite terrifying you know suddenly your rabbit's head's on its side and it's rolling round. now i have seen rabbits with treatment lead very good happy lives now that doesn't mean they necessarily go back to normal Um, you know some rabbits may always have a head tilt but they can eat drink and, and be happy rabbits and it's very difficult as a vet when you see that rabbit for the first time to be able to reassure an owner which way this is going to go. You know, there are some rabbits that just don't recover and they don't have a good quality of life. And, you know, when you're starting to talk about things like paralysis and urine scold and kidney disease, that in particular can be very difficult. But certainly with the neurological signs, particularly the rolling and, and so on, I would say a good proportion will recover to get a decent quality of life. But it does involve intensive care to start with, you know, owners need to be prepared to perhaps be syringe feeding their rabbits, or, you know, moving their rabbits from side to side, adapting the hutches. So it's not an instant goodbye, if that makes sense. I think there are discussions. I think the reality is sometimes we can't get to a place where a rabbit leads a happy life. But there are cases where we can.
1: That was a really full answer on Econiculae. Thank you for that. So then what about other more common illnesses that that we vaccinate against, like
0: myxomatosis? Sure. So myxomatosis is one of actually three things we vaccinate rabbits against now. So myxomatosis is a uh, disease that is carried by flying insects, basically. So, you know, those little midges and, and mosquitoes and so on. And it is seasonal and actually in unvaccinated rabbits is often fatal. It causes horrible lesions on the skin called myxomas, which I guess the easiest way to describe them is giant boils, I guess. And they tend to come in in what we call mucocutaneous junctions. So the moist parts of our skin, so eyes, nose, lips, mouth, genitals, things like that. And actually, vaccination is the best prevention here it's really important to get your rabbits vaccinated annually against myxomatosis, particularly if they're outside. You know, you can use other things such as fly nets um, over hutches at night and things like that because these insects are more prevalent at dawn and dusk, but it's never going to exclude the risk. So vaccination is definitely the way to go with myxomatosis.
1: And so you mentioned that myxomatosis is one of three routine rabbit vaccinations. The other two relate to a particularly nasty disease called viral hemorrhagic disease. But perhaps you can explain what this particular condition is and why there are two different varieties that we need to vaccinate against in the UK.
0: So viral hemorrhagic disease um, is the other one. And we now have two types in the UK. So viral hemorrhagic disease, uh, let's talk about the, the traditional one, number one, Is a nasty disease. It kills almost 100% of rabbits, and it does it very quickly. Often you don't know. You just end up with your rabbit passing away, and often with blood coming either from the nose and the mouth. It is a higher risk for rabbits that are outdoors because it tends to be when they come into contact with wild rabbits with the disease, or you know, feces, or essentially, if a bird were to land and pick something up that's infected and fly three miles in the opposite direction and drop it in your garden, that is technically. A way that it could spread, or if you go for a country walk, you could bring it back in your shoes. And actually, viral hemorrhagic disease is so um, number one is is so dangerous that vaccination is absolutely the way the way to go with that. Now, viral hemorrhagic disease two. It's a more recent one. Um, I would say it's sort of appeared within the last 10 years or so. It is less deadly than viral hemorrhagic disease one. And you often see signs before a rabbit passes away and they tend to be less specific. So, you know, in the cases I have seen, you tend to see rabbits that look like they're in excruciating pain, you know, really hunched over, not eating, not drinking. And whilst it's not as rapidly fatal as viral hemorrhagic disease one, in my experience, it's a 50-50 chance there. And those that do survive need very intense veterinary care so again my advice there would be vaccinate 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 don't put yourself in that sort of situation
1: and then what if we suspect we've got a sick rabbit and they're in a group the other rabbit seems completely fine but we're a little concerned about one what do we do then
0: if you ever are worried about a rabbit at all however small the sign contact your vet you know your vet will be able to advise you straight away rabbits get very sick very quickly and you know even just delaying it by half a day can have catastrophic consequences if your rabbit ends up needing hospitalisation, it's actually often sensible to hospitalise the other rabbit as well. So if we go back to our conversation about companionship and bonds, when you hospitalise a rabbit, you can break the bond if they're not hospitalised with the other rabbit. And so it's often a good idea to have both rabbits hospitalised together.
1: So you don't separate a rabbit that you think might be sick for fear of the other rabbit contracting the illness?
0: So if if we're just talking about generally a sick rabbit, then actually contact your vet, have a chat and, and go from there. Yeah, if you're talking about infectious diseases, to be perfectly honest, if you are dealing with something like viral hemorrhagic disease one, it is rapidly fatal and it is very possible that your other rabbit will come down with it. And certainly with viral hemorrhagic disease two, that is also the, the case. I guess it becomes slightly more complex when you think about myxomatosis, and I think it's something to discuss with your vet because it depends on the severity of the disease. Certainly, there are routes that rabbits can spread it to other rabbits in close contact, and so it'd be a discussion with your vet to weigh up that risk versus the risk of splitting a bond I think it will depend on how sick your rabbit is you know if your rabbit is exceptionally sick then actually it is best to separate them so that a rabbit can get the treatment it needs. If it's a mild case, it is possible that the other rabbit has already been bitten by that same or mosquito that caused the problem. And so I, I'm not sure there's a clear cut answer there. I personally have done both. I have in situations advised them to separate. I have in other situations advised vaccination, keeping them together. And I think that is one to, to speak to your vet about. Um, I would say, you know, me as a vet, if the prognosis was really poor for the rabbit that had already contracted it, I would separate them. If you're looking at a mild case, then I think that is a, a, a greater need for discussion there about the pros and cons.
1: Okay, so it's definitely a case-by-case case basis, which makes a lot of sense. What if, um, and I always hate to think of worst-case scenario, but we have kind of touched on it, what if we lose one rabbit and the other rabbit remains? What There's going to be serious implications there in terms of their mental well-being and, and social behaviour.
0: Absolutely. And I, th- I think real implications in terms of the mental well-being, their social behavior. And, and I think it also depends on age. I think there's an age aspect here because I think, you know, you can lose one of a pair due to disease, but you could lose it due to age, couldn't you? You know. And so if you are looking at a young rabbit that's lost its companion for whatever reason, I would really encourage you to consider getting a new rabbit, a companion rabbit. I would also encourage you to do that via a rescue centre. You know, They will have lots of adult rabbits that need homes and they'll often be able to help you with the bonding process. So it's not a case of go and get a rabbit and put it in the same hut. You're asking for trouble there. It is a gradual process. For older rabbits, it's a bit more difficult, isn't it, Zari? You, know, you, you end up in a situation if you have a, a 12-year-old rabbit who's just lost its mate. Do you get a younger rabbit and end up with that cycle? Do you see if a local rescue has an older rabbit? And, and I think they're It's perhaps one for discussion with your vet and going from there. So again, a case-by-case basis. But
1: but actually, you touched on something really important. And I think lots of questions I often get, again, are about lifespan of rabbits. And it varies hugely, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. A bit like dogs, the bigger the rabbit, the shorter the lifespan. I think it is the way to look at it. Um, you know, the small rabbits, um, I, I have seen 15 year old Netherland dwarfs. So they do live long lives. And even the bigger ones, you know, the, the, the Flemish giants, you know, five, six, seven, eight is perfectly possible. I, I've seen a nine year old. And so people often get rabbits thinking, oh, it's only a year or two. It's absolutely not. It's the same commitment as a cat or a dog. Absolutely. Okay,
1: let's talk about is it possible to train rabbits?
0: Yes. Rabbits are highly intelligent creatures Um, and, you know, there are rabbits out there that are doing tricks and so on. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's another form of enrichment, isn't it? Another form of enrichment and bonding with your pet um, is to to play with them and, and, and try and teach them tricks. I actually think the best mental stimulation for rabbits comes to feeding. Um, So, you know, if you think about how they feed in the wild, they're always sort of burrowing about and and, and sort of digging and so on. So actually, ways of making feeding time more complex is actually probably the most rewarding thing. But I've seen rabbits that will sort of spin, that will stand on their back legs and all sorts of things. So, yeah, uh, admittedly, um, they tend to be indoor rabbits a lot of the time. But I guess that's because you end up with a greater interaction with your rabbit day to day. But it's definitely there. (laughs) and what about
1: i i'm not sure where this comes from but walking them on a leash i'm not sure about the welfare implications of that
0: frankly me personally i'm not so keen on on walking rabbits on leashes i think you know um it, it does happen and i think we need to think about um the welfare implications there you know a rabbit is a prey species then they should be free to run away if they're worried um if they're attached to the end of a lead they can't get away you know they're forced to go where you're walking them if they panic you know if they if they do what rabbits do and panic when they see a threat you know they could damage their back in trying to get away i think the best thing is you know an enclosed safe garden and letting them go about doing rabbity things
1: (laughs) Eating the grass and, and hiding and playing and burrowing. Yeah. One last thing that just cropped up. Lots of people seem to tend to want to, I don't know why they do, mix rabbits and guinea pigs together. Are they a good mix?
0: No. I didn't think so. No, absolutely not. So it is this this sort of historical thing, isn't it? Where people just put rabbits and guinea pigs together and actually there's lots of reasons why that's a bad idea. And they have different dietary requirements. So for example, guinea pigs can't produce vitamin C, so they need um, vitamin C. They're very different sizes. And, and the reality is that a rabbit could do a serious harm to a guinea pig and also more importantly rabbits carry something called bordetella which often for rabbits doesn't cause a primary problem but that can be fatal to guinea pigs so guinea pigs with guinea pigs rabbits with rabbits um, would be my best advice there
1: Well, Daniela, thank you so much for your time. I think we've had a really comprehensive look into the lives of our bunny friends. And I think the key takeaway message for me, at least, is whatever we do, do our research before we consider buying
0: a rabbit. Absolutely. It's not one point, is it? It's they need companionship, they need the right diet, they need space, they need vaccinations. It's a whole thing, isn't it? It's a whole thing. And
1: fundamentally, with diet, going back to Bugs Bunny, let's avoid a diet full of carrots and feed hay.
0: (laughs) No, absolutely not. Hey, hey, hey and grass.
1: Hey all the way. (laughs) Thanks again for your time. And hopefully we'll see you again soon back in the pet pod. Absolutely. Speak soon. Well, that's all for this episode of Vet Voice. Don't forget that nobody knows your pet like you do. So if you're in any way worried or concerned about your pet's health, please be sure to contact your own local veterinary practice. And to make sure that you receive the next episode of the pet pod, please do like, share and subscribe. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.